Welcome to Series 7 of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. This is a special collaboration episode with the Scotch Whiskey Association. When you think of Scotch whiskey and its production, what do you see? I'll hazard a guess. It's probably a man based in the Highlands wearing tartan with a thick Scottish accent. But if you think that it's just a small cottage industry employing a few hundred people, you'd be very much mistaken. That may have been true in centuries gone by, but Scotch whisky has become one of the powerhouses of the UK's food and drink exports. In fact, of the total UK food and drink exports, Scotch whisky accounts for a staggering 22%. When I was in Downing Street, part of my role was to put together the trade delegations that accompanied the PM on trips around the world. We went to China, India, Japan, Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, the United States and Canada. And there was only one that joined us on every single one of those trips. And that was the Scotch Whiskey Association. In total, they export to 180 markets around the world, with 44 bottles a second leaving these shores. There are many jobs of the future being created to power one of the world's oldest industries. From production to bottling, sustainability to diversity and inclusion, and right through to the booming areas of the 21st century economy, that of tourism and experiences. Join my team and I on an exploration of the jobs in the Scotch whisky industry as we go to examine the work that goes into the 22 million casks that are currently lying and maturing across Scotland. So sit back, relax, and let's get ready to pour ourselves into the world of Scotch whisky. First stop on our whisky journey... The Inch Derny Distillery in Fife, just north of Edinburgh, this new distillery is shaking things up by bringing sustainability to the forefront of the production process. And when we say new, we mean it. Their first single malt won't be ready until 2029. Today we're chatting with a true giant of the industry, Ian Palmer, MD of Inch Derny, about the jobs at the distillery stage. Ian, can you tell us what your job is? My job is the managing director of Inch Derny Distillery. So my focus is very much on the long-term strategy of the business. And how many casks are we surrounded by at the moment? Here at Inch Derny, we have 120,000 of them, the last time we counted. <laughs> when did you decide to start a whisky business? I think it was really after a, a very long career, very much a traditional career within the industry. And I saw the industry changing and saw some opportunities and I thought I could exploit those opportunities and to set up my, my own distillery in my own particular way, targeting a specific part of the market. And how do you make a business plan for something that you can't sell for so many years? Well, you don't. You just be a bit arrogant and assume that you can. <laughs> I think the, the whisky industry has been around for a long time, so it is fairly well tried. Mm. But we were always wanting to find a different position within the market and, and, the, and there's the risk by, by being different. And you're trying to become the, one of the sort of differentiators and gaps in the market that you've, you've seen is that you're trying to become a very green distillery. Can you talk us through how you're doing that? It's very difficult but the first step that we're going to make is over the next couple of years is to convert to green hydrogen. Uh, the green hydrogen effectively produced from, from Scottish wind both onshore and offshore and that green hydrogen, which is produced from sustainable energy, will replace the natural gas that, that we're burning in, in our boiler. We were talking beforehand that 
all of your cereals are produced in Fife? Yes. So we are a Fife distillery. And what we say here is it's Fife grown, Fife distilled and Fife matured. So we are working exclusively with the Fife farming community to source all our barleys, our wheat and our oats and, our, and, and more importantly at the moment, our, our rye. And talk to us about the sort of different jobs that you've created here then. In particular, I'm fascinated by the role of the stillman. The role of the stillman here is actually critical to the, to the, to the whole business because they are the people who actually produce the new spirit. And we're a, a new distillery, so we're a modern distillery and we use a lot of technology. To some distilleries, we are the complete opposite. Mm. Uh, many of them are very manual, very traditional. And we use people in that way to control and manage the distillation process. So those are the stillmen who do a very critical job. But they're really the only the beginning of the story. They produce the raw material, the actual uh, new make spirit, as we call it. But then comes this part of the process that we're surrounded by here, which is the maturation area. Now, this, again, is, is, is all about managing the whiskey stocks, managing the many, many different types of casks that we have here. We have over 16 different types of casks that we use here, and those all play a part in the flavour. And one of the things that you do differently as well is the seasonality aspect of it. Talk us through that. We produce many different whiskies here at Inch Dearney, which really differentiates us from uh, many of the other distilleries. But our core brand is the Inch Dearney Single Malt. And we produce that four times a year. In the springtime, we use spring barley. In the autumn and the winter, we use winter barley. And the winter barley gives us a much heavier flavour. Mm -hmm. We put them also into different casks. The spring and, and the summer goes into bourbon casks, a lot of vanilla flavour. The summer goes into muscatel casks, a lot of flowers. A lot of the autumn and the winter, the heavier flavours have to be there to be complemented by the heavier Oloroso, Pedro Jimenez, Fino and Rioja wine casks are, are used in there. But we ferment outside, not inside, so the external weather has an impact on how we ferment it, and that drives a lot of the flavour differences as well. And what changes have you seen in the industry over the last 40 years? Huge differences. A great deal of the value in a whisky company in the old days was actually measured here in the whisky warehouse, how much stock that they had. Today, it's the strength of the brand. In the old days, we had only five or six key markets. Now we don't have any key markets at all. We just have the entire world. So I see a lot of changes from being very much stock-led to being brand-led. I see a lot of the manual work being stripped out of the industry and more into the, the neck-up work. Mm. They're much more intellect, people thinking about work and I think there's a huge difference. When I started, it was very, very male-dominated. It was an old boys' club. Today, it is, it's greatly different. It's got a long way to go yet, but I have seen a lot of changes in that, and it's becoming much more open, and I think that it is more accessible to a lot more people within Scotland and beyond. And some of the innovative things that you have done we were in your office beforehand and you've you did a bottle for cop 26 the the climate conference yes. talk us through that cop 26 held in glasgow 
Scotch Whisky in, uh, Association were very heavily involved in that and a lot of lobbying within that because Scotch Whisky is a very iconic Scottish product mm. and we are very close to the climate, very close to the agricultural world. So the industry pulled together and produced a blend of whisky that was, strangely enough, produced by 26 dis different distilleries in Scotland. So that was all blended together to create a special bottle for COP26. What changes do you think we'll see in the whisky industry over the next 40 years? I think that we're very much on a direction at the moment. I don't see that direction changing. Sustainability becoming increasingly important. I think that it will be a lot more about drinking less, but drinking better. From the whisky production process, we headed west to Dumbarton to see how that beautiful amber liquid is bottled and transported to the masses. The scale of this operation is truly something to behold. We witnessed nearly 1 million bottles being bottled and packaged for shipping each day at one of the world's largest bottling facilities. We're now speaking to Stefan Dillinger, the HR Director of Shivers Brothers. He'll give us an exclusive look at the people, process and operations at the second largest Scotch whisky producer. How many people have you got employed here? So this campus is probably the largest location we have across our business. That's about 800 people that we have on site. 700 of them focusing on manufacturing, bottling the bottles we're putting out on the market. And how many bottles do you produce a year here? up to 26 million nine litre cases. So the metric we're using in our industry is the case. So that's roughly 300 million bottles every year. Wow, extraordinary. So almost a million bottles per day then going through. That's right. And what attracted you to the whiskey industry? I've, I've started in the drinks industry mm. about 18 years ago, joining Pernod Ricard. So uh, at that time, I was focused on a different type of products, which was the cognac industry and then the champagne industry. Gave me the opportunity to be more familiar with this uh, element of craftsmanship. How have you seen job changes over the last 20 years? And, and what do you think we'll see in the next 20? Increased automation. Mm -hmm. It's an industry that has plateaued for some time, but we see some groundbreaking innovations coming up with the, the view that our industry should be connected to sustainability and responsibility, and making sure that our carbon footprint mm. would remain as neutral as possible. And how do you become more sustainable? Today, we're probably more focusing on the distillation piece of, of our process because this is the most energy intensive part of our, of our process. And we've been looking at ways to reach our, our goal, to have a distillation process that becomes carbon neutral by 2026. We've already rolled out a few innovative technologies throughout some of our distilleries, one of them being called MVR for mechanical vapor recompression, making sure that during the distillation phase, we have the ability to reuse some of the energy made from the vapor that could be put back into the system of heating our stills, okay. but also reduce our carbon footprint by 50% by 2050. And so when it comes to the jobs of the future, you're recruiting a lot here at the moment, over 100 roles. 
Can you tell us about what you're looking for? Yes, exactly. We're recruiting 140 positions, mostly uh, operators, changeovers on line machinery, for example. They would be looking after our equipment in the bottling process over the last month. We, we've received about 900 applications for, for those roles. We've mm. been holding 40 different sessions of recruitment on site wow. so that we would offer the uh, opportunity for anyone who would apply from the community here in, in Dumbarton and Glasgow to make sure that they could be uh, considered for, for those positions. That's, that's fascinating. When will these people be starting? We've been hiring people over three waves, starting in, in January 22. Okay. And making sure that we can onboard as well those people because, you know, one thing is to hire people, another one is to make sure that their introduction to the world of whiskey at Shivers Brothers is also done smoothly as one of, of the, the values that we're supporting. Being open, bold and united are probably the things that we would like everyone to be. What are your plans to get more women working in Scotch? We have a unique opportunity here to have a more diverse pool of people joining us. Some parts of our business are very much male-dominated, warehousing, Mm. aging, blending, those parts of the business could benefit from, from a more diverse workforce. And we're also, I guess, taking the opportunity of some kind of demographic crunch that we need to address. And we probably have an aging group of workers in, in the business. So uh, opening so many positions at the same time is also helping us be proactively looking at a more diverse pool of people. Thanks, Stefan. How interesting to hear about the changes to hiring and operations at Shivas Brothers. But let's move our focus from Dumbarton to Edinburgh at Johnny Walker's Princess Street, a brand first established by a local grocer, John Walker, in 1820, which now is a huge global brand. This is a major investment by the drinks giant Diageo, and it rather neatly summarises how the economy and business of drinks is evolving to become ever more experience-based. Joining us now is Rob Maxwell, head of Johnny Walker, Princess Street. Rob, Johnny Walker's Princess Street is amazing having visited around it. It's such an authentic and new experience of how to enjoy Scotch whiskey and all the different things that go into it, including the amazing history that Johnny Walker has as well. Why was it important to set up this tourist attraction? Thank you for those kind words. And Johnny Walker Princess Street, it was so important to do this. And I suppose, first of all, Johnny Walker Princess Street is it's a centerpiece in a, in a larger investment in Scotch whiskey. So the Azure have invested $185 million into Scotch whiskey tourism. So before the pandemic hit, uh, Scottish tourism was experiencing record growth. And Johnny Walker has a 200-year history, which we wanted to bring to life in a really immersive experiential manner and um, to make sure that we can tell, tell that amazing story of how a small humble grocery store owner from Kilmarnock uh, became this globe trotting icon that it is today. Johnny Walker Princess Street is all about you know experiential tours, tastings, we've got wonderful retail event spaces and it's crowned by two amazing rooftop bars as well. Um, and as you say, the rooftop bars are amazing, right? And the, the backdrop of Edinburgh as a city is one of the most beautiful and iconic cities in the world. Anyway, it's not actually been going that long, has it? I know the idea has been around for, for a while, but how successful has it been so far? 
Yeah, you're right. It's been open since the 6th of September, 2021. I think that days will always live long in my mind. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, been, it's been going really well so far. Uh, the feedback and the reviews have been amazing. As I said, we've had uh, you know the local audience from Edinburgh and Scotland, but we've also had international visitors. Uh, the latest check, we've had visitors from 116 countries. So I think about 56% of our visitors have never had whiskey before. One of the most common comments that we get is that I didn't realize that I liked whiskey. So it's so much more than just a whiskey tasting. It's, it's much more experiential. It's been really well received. We've received our Visit Scotland five-star accreditation, which we're really proud of. So that's all about excellent service and standards and hospitality. And then just in December, we received a Whiskey Magazine's Visitor Attraction of the Year at the Icons of Whiskey Awards. And how many people are employed there? So we have close to 150 people in peak season um, and then in the winter and in the off season, close to 100 to 120 people are employed. Wow. So it's a, you know, it's a big operation, right? Job creation in its own right. It is, you know, and a lot of people, I suppose, don't realize the number of jobs that we have uh, in a whiskey attraction like Johnny Walker Prince Princess Street. So, you know, we have everything from retail staff, tour staff. We actually have performance artists, which is very unusual for a whiskey attraction. So actors and actresses, um, you know, we've got bartenders, we've got event staff, we've got kitchen staff, we've got cleaning teams, security teams, facilities teams. Um, back of house operational people as well. So it really is a wide array of options. Um, and, you know, everything from consumer facing to non consumer facing, whiskey experts, people who've never had whiskey in their lives. So it really is, there really is almost a job for, for everyone in, in a place like Johnny Walker Princess Street. What's your favorite bit of it? Uh, for me, I think it has to be the performance artists and uh, the way that they bring the story to life. It's, uh, you know, I've been to whiskey visitor attractions all over the world and worked in some as well before this i've never seen the story and the experience brought to life in a way like that and um, and you know there's certain points during that show where i still even to this day get goosebumps and hair standing up on my arm so for me i think that has to be the, my favorite piece but very closely followed by that incredible view of the edinburgh skyline and edinburgh castle from the rooftop bar thanks rob fascinating to journey around prince's street with you pretty staggering to hear that over 50% of people who visit have not tried Scotch whiskey before. If you want to get a feel for almost the festival of Scotch whiskey that has been created on Prince's Street, do check out our socials that are listed in the show notes. We've heard from some of the biggest players in the industry, but let's get on to the future of jobs. So how does one of the world's oldest industries adapt to the ever-changing world of remote work, new technologies and future job opportunities? To get a better understanding of this, we spoke with the expert, Kirsty Summers, Head of Workforce and Skills at the Scotch Whiskey Association. And how many people are employed in Scotch Whiskey? Within the industry, we have around about 11,000 people in Scotland. Throughout the UK, that's pushed upwards to around 40,000 people and countless globally. Within the Scotch Whiskey Association itself, we are a trade association and we have around 40 members of staff, 41 members of staff. What roles might there be in Scotch that we might not expect? There's a huge number of roles, actually. There's, there's everything that you would imagine, master distiller, blender, marketing, those types of roles, and then all into the core roles like accountancy, legal, etc. But there's roles that you perhaps wouldn't expect in terms of the travel you could do, for example, the, the way that things like software, um, 
AI, automation, data science, all of those roles which are determining how roles of the future will look, particularly in the manufacturing sector, bottling, those kinds of things. The stereotype perhaps of the Scotch drinker and the Scotch maker is the sort of classic old Highlander, you know, not moving with the times, etc. Whereas actually you've done quite a lot on diversity and inclusion. So just talk us through about the changing makeup of the workforce in Scotch. So I think there's a a huge diversity of roles, which brings a huge diversity of people into the sector. Um, I mentioned earlier all the different types of areas that um, that we cover as an industry, tourism, etc. Um, so I think that does attract a large variety of different people, female to male, the ratio is probably around about 50% um, role dependent, perhaps. But I think you're right with what you say about the image still pervading of a, a Highland chap <laughs> making his whiskey. Um, but actually, it's it's not true, really. There's there's a huge number of women um, master distillers, for example, and, and how they are really leading the way in changing the, the product. I think there's also a really interesting development or realisation rather than development sobs there, but a realisation about uh, adoption and celebration of the luxury market, luxury goods. That's an interesting angle because it brings lots of things with it. For example, Michelin star chefs, which you maybe wouldn't expect. What does diversity and inclusion mean in the Scotch whisky industry? I think that means for the employers that there is safety in the fact that people are taking that area seriously that's not just for the good of employees um, but good for the businesses as well I mean we have a Scotch Whiskey Scotch Whiskey Association diversity and inclusivity charter which is currently undergoing a bit of a refresh just to modernize it a little bit We've asked our member companies to pledge their signature to the charter where we can have a real focus on taking key objectives forward. And there's some amazing pockets of work from um, organisations working with those with disabilities, with bringing people in and really doing focused recruitment. Next, we hit the road to Falkirk to visit the Rosebank Distillery and chatted to the ex-Navy site manager, Malcolm Rennie, about how to rebuild a Scotch brand in the 21st century. And with a project the scale of this, you'll be sure to hear people working in the background to resurrect this iconic distillery. And why is the rebuild of Rosebank taking place? Really to, to resurrect that iconic brand of Rosebank, really, I think, and bring back that classic whisky that everyone loved so, so dearly in the past. And we're here in Falkirk, in the heart of Falkirk, right along the river. How many people are currently working on site at the moment? I think there's around about between 40 and 50 at the moment on site. And it's pretty incredible, though, those jobs and how it's been at the heart of the town in the last few months. When will it reopen? Hopefully we're going to reopen uh, distillery production around about late spring next year. And one of the big things that you're going to be doing here is driving tourism. How many visitors are you hoping to get through a year? We would hope to as many as possible. We'd love to come and see this new distillery in, in production and I would think around about 50,000, certainly to start with. Can you tell us about these wooden objects that we have in the back and how that's going to differentiate? These big vessels behind us are, what are called worm tubs and they, they actually impart quite a, a part of the, the spirit quality into the Rosebank spirit. The worm tubs give body and texture to the spirit 
and they're a critical part of the whole, the whole uh, production process. And also the stills that you've got are all different shapes and sizes. Talk to us about how that makes the whiskey different. Yep, so all the stills have been replicated exactly from their old original drawings. And as you say, there's three stills of very different shapes. So they each give their individual character to, and which combines into what Rosebank Spirit actually is. What are you most excited about when it opens? I think for me personally, creating that new make spirit. Yeah. And trying to recreate that, that style that was, that was so great in the past. Uh, and that's going to be a fantastic opportunity for me. How many people will be employed on the tourism side? On the tourism side, we'll probably have up to around 40 people in the visitor centre side of things. Pretty incredible. And what do you think the future of Scots looks like? Fantastic. I mean, it's upwards and onwards, I think. Tell us about how you ended up being here, Malcolm. I've got a, quite a history of starting up new distilleries, so I think that was probably the main reason why I was employed here. And again, for me personally, it's a great opportunity to bring back such an iconic brand as Rosebank. Which other distilleries have you been involved with starting? Uh, involved at Kilhoman, and I started up Annadale Distillery in Annan, and I also, my last job was at Loch Lee in Kilmarnock. Thanks, Malcolm. What a rewarding job it must be going into old distilleries and redeveloping them for the modern age. Almost 2.2 million people visited a Scotch distillery last year, making it Scotland's third biggest tourist attraction. A crucial part of the whisky industry and its future growth is exports. Nearly 90% of Scotch whisky is shipped around the world, and expanding to new markets will be key to the industry's continued growth. To get the inside track on this topic, we spoke with Miles Thompson from Ian McLeod, an expert with over 20 years' experience of introducing whisky to global markets, whether that be Latin America, the Caribbean, or India. Miles, what's the role of a business development director at a Scotch distillery? My role within the company, one of the uh, members of the commercial team, assisting with the business development of our business in India, uh, but I also have a remit to cover the Latin America and Caribbean markets as well. Your primary role is to sell to the rest of the world then, effectively. Yeah, but not only to sell, it's, the idea is obviously to find the new business, to nurture it and make sure that it has actually got some literally legs to it and, uh, and continues. Um, and it's a big part of the free trade agreement coming up with India and Scotch whisky is really high on the priority list. People might be a bit surprised by that. Why is that the case? Well, it's one of the biggest spirits markets in the world. For brown spirits, I think it's over 320 million cases. And Scotch whisky, we don't even hit 2% of that. So you can imagine that the potential for Scotch whisky is, uh, is, is fantastic. Um, and of great interest to, to all Scotch whisky companies. Particularly, I was interested in your uh, regions that you're in charge of, the Caribbean and Latin America, because these are places that people would not necessarily associate with, with Scotch whisky, yet they're big growth markets for you. The area is predominantly um, a spirits-focused uh, region. We've got lots of countries which are rum producers. They've got spirits really in almost in their blood, yeah. to say at least. And Scotch whisky is the iconic spirits drink. What have you learned by exporting that? I've been doing this for about 20 years. I think one of the most interesting things that I've learned, and you continue to learn over different parts of the, the countries you visit of, of different cultures. For me, as a relative newbie um, to the Indian market, that's going to be fascinating. Um, but certainly through my experience in Latin America and the Caribbean, yeah, I think... Culture, uh, a lot of us are, are very keen on seeing where and how um, Scotch whisky is, is drunk and enjoyed. And what changes have you seen in the Scotch industry over the last couple of decades? 
I think there's a fantastic growth. Certainly the, one of the biggest and most notable growths is the um, success um, of the single malt category. But not so much in Latin America because single malt is, is a very, um, very small part of the uh, Scotch whisky export consumption in that region. Um, but there's a, there's a discerning consumer out there um, that wants some of the very best. And, and whilst we're here today, you've seen a little bit of, uh, of Rosebank um, you know, in rebuild, but the visitor centre is a new part um, of that. And so Scotch whisky tourism is a, is a very big part here. So if you've got five or six people working at the distillery, then you've got upwards of 40 people perhaps at the visitor centre. So as an employer, it's a significant part of this local community. And do you think the sort of future of Scotch, and particularly jobs of the future in Scotch then, are going to be around that sort of experiential sort of side of it then in tourism and hospitality and so forth? As you say, there's almost 10 jobs for everyone that's involved in the creation of the product. Well, I think, yeah, realistically, the, the future is looking bright. You know, with hindsight, we'd have been distilling a lot more sort of 10, 15, 20 plus years ago. Um, but we're in it for the long term and, uh, and we're building some fantastic foundations here. Why do you think the spirits are becoming more popular? A lot of, a lot of it has to do with education yeah. um, on that side. Certainly in, in this category, the single malt category, for the price you're, you're paying or prepared to pay, then you've got um, you know, a well-educated or increasingly better educated um, consumer out there, you know, increasing middle classes in, in a number of markets. Um, accessibility, we touch again back into India. If we're successful in this second round of free trade agreement talks, um, then the opening up of the market, even by a small amount, will be, we would hope, it have a significant impact on the amount. With a better tax regime, it's better for the importing country in terms of tax revenues. Um, and it's better for the exporters, us and the producers. Which market are you most excited by? Uh, well, I think I'm most excited by, by India because that's going to be one of the, the biggest um, changes, if it happens. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take it in steps. So we are in the hands of, of politicians, so we just have to um, continue to be patient. But patience is one of the key parts of, of, Scotch. of, of Scotch whiskey. So, <laughs> you know, but that's going to be, I think, generally across the board in the industry, everybody's very excited about this. Um, and we're sort of, perhaps a lot of us, uh, me included, was quite reserved and quietly confident. Um, and uh, let's, let's just make it happen. Thanks, Miles. Up next on our whiskey journey, we're talking about the potential trade deal with India. Scotch whiskey is all in on this deal as the industry looks to tap into the booming market. Martin Bell is the Deputy Head of Trade at the Scotch Whiskey Association. He's a seasoned pro at navigating the ins and outs of the negotiation process and will give us a better understanding of the potential impact on the industry. We join Martin to learn what the India trade deal means for the future of Scotch whisky. So Martin, the Scotch Whisky Association have been very involved with the India trade deal. What's the role of the Scotch Whisky Association in that? We represent the industry as a whole. So from the largest member companies, Diageo, Perucar and the like, to, to the very smallest, um, Ian McLeod and, and others, I suppose we process the uh, perspectives and, and needs of, of our members and translate that into a position. And we then advocate that position to the UK government, who are negotiating on our behalf, 
uh, but also to the Indian side as well. And what does the SWA want to see from the India trade deal? Taking a step back, India has gradually opened up over the last 35 years, really. Sometimes that's been driven by uh, trade law disputes uh, at the WTO. This time is a bit different in the sense that it is a, 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 an FTA negotiation where the main focus is, is on the 150% import tariff. And what are the politicians doing for you? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think I, I've been involved in India for 18 years, and this is the most optimistic I've been. And, and much of that is about what the politicians are doing. In any government, the trade minister sets the ambition and, and makes the, the tough calls at the end, in the end game, where you have to favour some people over other, others. But that's built on uh, the work that the, the trade negotiators, the officials in, in the Department for International Trade do across the piece. And just talk us through how important exports are to Scotch whisky now, because in your 20 years, it's changed dramatically. Yeah, it's we always have been an export-dependent industry. Uh, at the moment, it's uh, about 92, 93% of, of production is is exported. What, what I've seen in, in the last 20 years is that you know, we always were geographically hedged, but the number of large, medium-sized um, uh, markets, if you like, uh, that, that we have now is has expanded enormously, uh, which is great. So if you have a big problem in one market, then that's more than compensated for by, by others. And you would expect that the 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 large emerging economies would be one of the key growth drivers, and that is true. Anywhere there the GDP is going up, that's usually a pretty good place for, for Scotch to be. And one of the interesting areas of massive growth is in Africa and the Scotch Whiskey Association joined on the Prime Minister's Africa trade delegation. But just talk to us about the countries there where it's growing as well. You you look at Africa into the 2030s, 2040s, a lot of good things from a macroeconomic point of view. You've got a expanding middle-class population, young population, provided that the governance is right and there is economic growth on the basis of those fundamentals, that's always going to be good for Scotch whisky. And that's one of the reasons why you know, people are very excited about India, and rightly so at the moment, but over the horizon, Africa would, would be the next area. And what do you think we might see in the next 20 years of trade? I think one of the challenges is going to be the inability of the multilateral system to cope with economic shocks. Uh, even the U.S., uh, you know, not being as committed to the WTO system as it has been in the past. So uh, whether it's reshoring, friendshoring, that that moves us away from uh, the the globalised world that, that the Scotch whisky industry has, has really benefited from. But I think one of the, the, the features will be a regionalisation of trade, so which is why CPTPP in Asia is genuinely important. Uh, maybe not for the next couple of years, but but in the longer term, you know, from our perspective, very valuable. And what does CTPP stand for? For those that might not be as well-versed in trade policy. The Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, which changed its name after the US pulled out. Uh, but one of the, so it's it's an agreement that is very much driven by, by the US um, and, and the US will join again at some point in the future and it's it's a matter of politics really 
And how did you get into all this, Martin? I come from the far north of Scotland, where whiskey making is is very uh, important part of the the economy. Uh, and it's always fascinated me that you know here in the middle of nowhere, some people might say people are making a spirit that is enjoyed around the world. Um, and uh, there was a combination of that that pride in in what is a very Scottish product, a very British product, the biggest selling spirit, uh, international spirit worldwide. It's quite a thing. And being part of of an organization that, that helps our members to uh, to trade more uh, is, is, is a privilege. Insights into trade and the importance of how politics affects whiskey from Martin Bell. Joining us now is possibly my favorite interview of our entire journey, Becky Paskin. We talked about how the way that people consume whiskey is changing. For example, the growing popularity of incorporating it into cocktails. Becky Paskin is an entrepreneur, the founder of Our Whiskey, an organization that is dedicated to supporting women in the industry. It started as a social media campaign, but has now become so much more, which is a very modern 21st century entrepreneur story. So Becky, why do you think that more women and more people overall are drinking whiskey? I think whiskey has really done a brilliant job of shirking off this archaic notion of it being a aspirational drink that only a certain type of person can enjoy, that you must drink it neat. I think a lot of people have been maybe afraid of tasting whiskey in the past because they assume they must sip it neat. And that high alcohol content can be quite difficult for a lot of people to to overcome but nowadays we're realizing people are realizing that you can drink whiskey in any way you like and actually mixed options are doing brilliantly the the highball whiskey highball which is just whiskey and soda and you can use any kind of flavor soda in that is doing a brilliant job of showing people that you know whiskey can be drunk in different ways and that brings it down to the same kind of level as a gin and tonic so in my opinion, it's much tastier. But the other thing that's changing as well is that whiskey brands are starting to embrace new audiences and their marketing initiatives. So we're starting to move away from purely targeting uh, whiskey advertising at uh, white men of a certain age, always dressed in a suit or reclining in a leather armchair in front of a fireplace and moving towards showing whiskey as being something really fun, enjoyable and showcasing the diversity of people who do actually enjoy whiskey because a lot of different people do drink whiskey. It's not always the same type of person. So tell us about the role of our Whiskey Foundation in female careers in the Scotch industry. What, what inspired you to set it up? Our Whiskey was originally a social media campaign that launched in 2018 and it's taken the last four years or so for it to really find its feet. Earlier this year, it relaunched as both a subscription club, which is aimed at diverse audiences and bringing new people into whiskey, uh, and also the Our Whiskey Foundation, which is a non-profit organisation founded to support, empower and recognise women in the global whiskey industry. Now, within uh, Scotch in particular, we like to try and help the industry by working with brands to encourage them to showcase more diversity in marketing communications so that we can encourage not only more women to enjoy whiskey as a drink, but also consider whiskey as a career for them. 
one of the most successful initiatives that the foundation has run so far is probably the mentorship program. And we recently inducted uh, 50 women through the program. We partnered them with mentors from around the world who we hand selected to help them achieve whatever their personal goal was. And I'm thrilled to to say that actually quite a few women achieved their goals, whether it was getting a promotion within their current workplace or achieving uh, and finding a new job in the industry, moving into another sector altogether. We had one woman who was hired by her mentor. It's thrilling to see the, the confidence that women have taken away with them, having been part of the, the mentorship program. We feel if we can empower women working within the workforce, then they will take those skills, progress themselves, but then also you know, figures show that 80% of those people who have been mentored then go on to mentor others themselves. So we're creating an army of women who will then go on to mentor the next generation of women coming through the industry. And how did you get into whiskey in the first place? Because you've got no direct links to Scotland. No direct links to Scotland. I'd never been to Scotland before I uh, tried whiskey. My background is I'm a journalist and I was uh, writing about food and drink, uh, predominantly for the World's 50 Best Restaurant Awards, Restaurant Magazine, Big Hospitality. And then I moved into drinks, the world of drinks. And it was once I started writing about spirits and I discovered whiskey, I completely fell in love with it. Not just the liquid itself, which is just delicious, but for me, it's the the people working within the whiskey industry, the heritage, the history. What would you recommend for somebody wanting to do their first whiskey tasting at home? I think if you're buying a gift for someone, my advice is always to go on the basis of what they already like to eat and drink. So I ask people, for instance, for you, Jimmy, What's your favourite dessert? Chocolate brownie and ice cream. Okay, interesting. Right, so now from that, I know that you love uh, deep, dark, rich cocoa flavours, but you also like a little bit of uh, light sweetness with the, the, with the vanilla, uh, maybe some caramel. So a whiskey that I would maybe recommend for you would be Glenmorangie Signet, which has a proportion of chocolate malt included in the mash, and it's beautiful uh, honeyed, sweet style of whiskey so that's the one that i would recommend for you what's the best scotch whiskey story you've come across becky my favorite has to be the story of helen and elizabeth cummings who operated cardi distillery in spaceside uh, during the 1800s their tale is really one of resilience and determination because uh, they they ran this distillery. Uh, Helen and Elizabeth uh, were her daughter-in-law were the ones really behind Cardew Distillery's success at this time, and they were the ones who kept it operating. And my favourite part of this story is the fact that whenever uh, the excise man would come around uh, trying to uh, collect the taxes and shut down the illegal operations, they would these ladies would hang. Uh, they're washing out, white washing out. A red, sorry, it was a red flag. They would they would hang out on the washing line to alert all of the illicit distillers in the area that the excise man had come, and they would take him in, to, uh, give him a cup of tea while they quickly ran out and hung up the washing to warn everybody else. And I just think it's such a wonderful story and really encapsulates the the Scottish spirit of community and coming together and just the resilience of women working in the whiskey industry and. I think it's also testament to the fact that, you know, nowadays we talk about how women are 
now drinking whiskey. Women are now working in the industry. The reality is women have always drunk whiskey. They've always been in the industry. They've always made whiskey. We've just never seen them. So it's uh, it's a beautiful story that I think really has so much in common with the way that the Scotch whiskey industry is today. Becky, that's a brilliant story to finish on. Thank you so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs and telling us all about how women are drinking more Scotch whiskey despite all the stereotypes that are out there. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. That brings to an end our journey through the jobs of Scotch whiskey. We've spoken with industry leaders about jobs of the future and how the whiskey industry is adapting to new technologies. As we've discovered, the future of the Scotch whiskey industry is going to be defined by areas such as sustainability, technology, as well as trying to make it appeal to a diverse market as possible. Like a whiskey, it takes a blend of ingredients to create something truly unique. Many of the distilleries we visited source their grains from the immediate surrounding areas, fiercely protecting their local roots. As we've learned, the whiskey industry is an incredible blend of hyperlocal distilleries scattered across Scotland, but is also enjoyed in the far-flung corners of the globe. When you next get ready to enjoy a dram, it's worth remembering that whiskey was discovered in the same decade that Christopher Columbus sailed the seas and first set foot in America. The industry and the drink has evolved and improved over the decades. After all, a good Scotch whiskey is a universal truth. This episode was produced in memory of James Keith Ross Falconer, born in February 1955 and leaving us in May 2022. He was a special person. This episode was a partnership between the Jimmy's Jobs of the Future podcast and the Scotch Whiskey Association. My thanks to Graham and Rosie at the SWA who were great to work with on this project and my big thanks to the Jimmy's Jobs project team, Leo, Luke and Sonny, who have worked tirelessly to create a memorable episode. Podcasting and audio is a powerful new format that allows greater depth and time to explore issues. Whether it's a piece of thought leadership or an innovative marketing or recruitment strategy, this new medium offers a wealth of possibilities. Have a look at the different partnership options available at www.jobsofthefuture.com.